following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. I just took a bite of one of the really good snacks out there. Would somebody bring me a cup of water? It's peanut butter fudge. (laughs) It wasn't there earlier today, and now I know why some of you show up late. Because you want to get the good snacks. Um, Thank you, Liz. That's a beautiful... Advent hymn that we just sang together. Um, And you may have noticed that we're several days into December and we haven't really sung very many Christmas carols. I think the one that Dave did earlier was um, the first one. And uh, the answer to that is that traditionally those songs are not sung during the season of Advent. They're sung during the season of Christmas, which actually follows the day of Christmas. So we don't sing very many of them now, and we sing some of them after Christmas, and some people think that's weird, and uh, that's just historical, really, which doesn't mean it's not weird, <laughs> but that explains why. I'm actually on this, uh, our denomination has a, a, a closed Facebook group of, of worship leaders, and uh, last week, right after Sunday services ended, somebody posted the question, so who got their first nasty card that said, why don't we sing any Christmas songs already? (laughs) And a couple people had already gotten those mean letters from people in their congregation. So thank you, Artisan Church, for not being a bunch of jerks, Um, (laughs) most of you. (laughs) (laughs) We are in the season of Advent. I have no idea where the podcast is going to start, but uh, we'll see. Um, We're in the season of Advent, and, and we... We spend this season anticipating the arrival of Christ, and uh, we've we've had this two-pronged approach so far. And I'll explain it to you briefly. It's pretty simple. One is a uh, we are we're engaging with and hearing and experiencing the traditional Bible readings for this time of year, but I'm not basing sermons on those texts exactly. Sometimes they'll, over, they'll overlap a little bit, but for the most part, that's not what I'm doing. What I'm spending time in, in um, talking about is the Advent conspiracy, which is a, a secondary um, endeavor for us during this time of year. And today's one of those days where the scripture readings don't necessarily correspond with the Advent conspiracy theme of the day, but... Because I think it is so important for us to be bathed in Scripture and be hearing the words of the Bible, um, we are going to have all those texts read. Um, and if you don't know how this works, it's the, the, the lectionary is what we use for this, and it's just a, a prescription, if you will, of, of Bible texts. And uh, every Sunday in the year, there are four readings assigned, and, and at various times in the year, we, we pay closer attention to that. This is one of those times. So... We have uh, some people who are going to do these readings, who are going to read them for us today, <coughs> and I'd like to invite them to come up and do that. So thankfully today you don't have to hear quite as much of my voice. Um, and then after the readings, I have a, a actually pretty brief message based on the Advent Conspiracy theme. So I went really long last week. If you were here, you probably remember that. And uh, today you're going to get a little bit of that time back. So there's three texts here. 
and I'm going to just briefly explain to you what they are, and then, and then we'll just hear the words of Scripture. The first text, which Sarah is going to read, is an Old Testament text, and it's a prophecy not only about the coming of Jesus, but also about the coming of John the Baptist, who would be the on-the-scene prophet preparing the way for Jesus. And so the next two texts are New Testament texts, in other words, from the, the Gospels and, and beyond. These happen to be both from the Gospel of Luke. And those two texts talk about John the Baptist as well, more directly. The first one is a, a prayer prophecy that John the Baptist's father prayed at his birth. And the second text is the text that sort of starts to tell the story of John the Baptist and his ministry as an adult. So having set the stage, what I'd like to ask you to do is just simply sit back, get in a comfortable position, Open your ears and your hearts to the Word of God, um, which will be read by Sarah and Chris and Jolene. Malachi 3, 1 through 4. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Luke 68, or Luke 1, 68 through 79. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably upon his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus, he has shown mercy, shown the mercy promised to our ancestors, and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins, by the tender mercy of our God, The dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Luke 3, 1 to 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God.
Thank you very much, all three of you, for reading. And um, by the way, we are still looking for more people who will do these readings throughout Advent. Um, so if, uh, if you're a person who's comfortable with, with what you've just seen um, and you haven't already talked to me, please do. I have a couple people who are lined up, but we need some more. So these texts are all about John the Baptist, and it, it makes me think that there are lots of characters in the Bible who are worthy of our emulation. Of course, our primary goal as Christians is to emulate Christ, is to be little Christs in our world, to be as much like Jesus as we possibly can. But there are other admirable characters in the Bible whose uh, actions and so forth we can look to as positive examples. And John the Baptist is one. And so I'll talk about him being one who would, who would proclaim repentance and who would uh, give light uh, or, or would provide the way for the one who would give light. Those things are part of our calling as well. It's part of our calling to be John the Baptist's, uh, if you will, in our world. Not the part about dressing fun, eating bugs, and dipping people in the river so much as the part about making the path to Jesus straight for our friends and neighbors and families. You know, one thing that has really struck me during the past couple years especially of celebrating Advent, we've, we've celebrated Advent um, somewhat formally in, in one form or another for artisans' entire history, but the past couple of years I've been particularly struck by this uh, very important notion that there are two Advents, and we talked about this last week a little bit. If you were here, do you remember that? Um, how at this time of year we reach into the past to celebrate and kind of re-anticipate the first Advent, the first coming of Jesus into the world. But at the same time, we reach into the future to anticipate and pre-celebrate, if you will, the second coming of Jesus into the world. And when we do that, we stand as a bridge in this middle time in God's salvation history. And part of what we want to do, especially as we reach into the future and anticipate that perfect reality of the kingdom of God, which will be, but isn't yet, part of what we do is, as I said last week, and I stole this from another pastor, it's not unique to me, is we, we want to pull that future into the present. We want to bring about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, which is what part of the Lord's Prayer says. We want to make that kingdom reality, which has not come to its fruition, we want as much as possible to bring that into the present and make it a reality here. And that's what, it's part of what Advent Conspiracy is all about. When we set out to do the work of Christ, to be his body, his hands and feet in the world, which they're calling us the church, we are, in, a, in some sense, preparing the way for his return. John the Baptist was a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And we need to cry that out in our wilderness. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes, uh, this will come as a great surprise to you, but I, believe me, it's true. People of faith sometimes shout a little too much and do not quite enough. They talk more than they work. 
and uh, the old cliche that actions speak louder than words is true in the positive direction, but (laughs) the words speak pretty loudly in the negative direction sometimes. And so we want to focus during Advent on a particular piece of doing Christ's work, of bringing about that future reality in our present world. And in so doing, we want to consider that part of our proclamation of this kingdom of God. So the particular piece of doing Christ's work that we are focusing on this Advent season is, of course, um, providing clean drinking water. And if you've, if you've been with us uh, last week or if you remember what we did for Advent Conspiracy a few years ago, um, it's the same kind of thing. So Advent Conspiracy has two themes. Last week we talked about what it means to worship fully, and today's theme is spend less. Now upon hearing this title, you might assume that you've already heard this sermon from me or from somebody else. Um, Maybe you're expecting it to be a sermon about the commercialism of Christmas, and you say, well, maybe I'll just go home early and watch Charlie Brown's Christmas special (laughs) and get that message out of the way, and then I'll watch football. Um, Or maybe you've already seen it this year, like I have seven or eight times. Um, (laughs) Uh, but but maybe you're maybe you're expecting and secretly hoping you can get your your uh, culture warrior boxing gloves on and we can talk about the war on Christmas and uh, how people in those department stores have been saying happy holidays to us and we want them to say Merry Christmas which by the way you can solve that problem by not going to department stores um, <laughs> if you want to win that war on Christmas but that's nobody wants to do that. It's not really going to be either of those two things. So if you're expecting those, um, sorry, or congratulations. Because <laughs> nobody really wants to hear those things anymore. We've talked about those a lot in the church. As a matter of fact, I don't know that I can, I, I'll, I'll do my best, but I don't know what more I can say to you other than the two words that are already on the screen here, the title of this week's theme and this week's sermon, Spend Less. Amen. Let's take communion. Because in, in one sense, it really is that simple. Right? We spend less. The money that we don't use on presents, we give to the Ugandan Water Project. They build rainwater collection tanks and provide life for entire communities of people for decades. Amen. Let's take communion. But let's talk a little bit about it, because sometimes it's helpful to have a little more flesh on the bones, if you will. Where do we set the bar when we talk about spending less? Do we set the bar really high, accomplish great things? Do we set the bar really low, manage something, set it somewhere in between? I read a book a few years ago called $100 Holiday. Has anybody ever heard of this book? Yeah, it's it's a little skinny book. $100 $100 holiday, and it, it's a, a really fascinating read, and the, it's just what it says on the tin. I mean, it, it, the argument that the book makes is that we should celebrate the entire season of Christmas on a budget of $100. Um, this book was written a few years ago, but not that many years ago. That would be called setting the bar very high, right? So no, in your, your presence, your tree, your 
turkey or your ham or whatever it is you eat at Christmas? What do vegetarians eat at Christmas dinner? I don't yeah. What's that? Broccoli casserole. Oh, happy birthday, Jesus. <laughs> Hope you like crap. <laughs> it is, well, I don't know. It is cold. <laughs> I don't think it'd be any better if it was hot, though. <laughs> the very idea of budgeting for an entire holiday celebration with $100 is insane, right? We couldn't, I mean, even if we said, let's adjust for inflation um, and reality and make it $500, <laughs> that's, I mean, for some of us, even that is still pretty challenging. You think about how much you spent on, on Christmas presents and how much you spend on a tree and lights and, you know, all the things we do at Christmas, that money really does add up. So maybe the $100 holiday is a crazy idea, but, and we could, we could never do that. So let's not do anything. Which is the, one of the most insidious tricks the devil plays on your mind. If you can't do the whole thing, don't bother doing any of it. Anybody else think that way sometimes? Yeah. Right. I, I'm never going to be able to do that, so... Where's my credit card? That's like saying, I, I can't get from here to out of the sanctuary with one giant step, so I guess I'll take my nap here this afternoon. Somebody bring me lunch. Obviously, there's a value in taking one step at a time. Even very small steps are steps. And so, uh, what I'm leading to here is, what are some small steps we could take in the direction of something like $100 holiday? that might get us, that might be worthwhile, it might be worth taking the steps. We don't have to spend way, way, way less. Even if we spend just a little bit less, could we make a little bit of a difference? And I think the answer is yes. As a matter of fact, our specific challenge to you this Christmas season, it's Advent season, as we lead up to Christmas, is that you simply purchase one less Christmas gift. And, you know, last week I was sort of flippant about the, the gift cards. I, I, you know, I tend toward sarcasm sometimes, and I apologize if I was too flippant. We have these $25 gift cards, and, you know, that's whatever it is, whether it's a $25 gift card or a $25 uh, book from the fancy literature section of your favorite independent bookstore, whatever it might be. I mean, I'm not trying to assign value to different gifts, in other words. I'm very simply saying this. If you gave one less gift this year and instead donated that money to a clean water initiative, we would very quickly begin to make a real difference in our world together. It's actually a serious goal that we've set for ourselves. And, uh, you know, we printed $25 on there because that's a nice round number and it's easy to divide things by it. And it is a common denomination for a gift card, which is a present that you might be considering giving. But I know that some of you w- will, will want to give much more than that. Your spending on Christmas gifts uh, is, is greater than that. And so, and, or maybe you want to give not one fewer gift, but maybe like five or ten fewer gifts. 
Maybe you're really trying to rein in your holiday spending and do some good in the world. Whatever the amount looks for you, it, it's, it matters. It's those steps. That's what I'm saying. And so, how do you go about doing that is, is a question you might have. I mean, you, you, could, you could literally just give less, but if you're, if you're sharp, you know that next week's theme for Advent Conspiracy is give more. <laughs> so I don't necessarily think I can uh, encourage you to give less today, because next week you're going to be encouraged to give more. But what you might give some thought to is whether, whether or not you can adjust the type of gifts you give. You know, we've, we've uh, talked a lot about, uh, in previous years, giving relational gifts. In fact, at certain times we've had gift-making workshops and that kind of thing right here in the church. Um, you can make something, you can, you, can, you can barter something with somebody who knows how to make something if you're not handy. I'm sure Avila would be happy to get 17 knit hat requests. <laughs> she's already she's already been hired out. <laughs> um, but even more than that, you might consider this: that sometimes when we give gifts at the holidays, it's to avoid doing something more difficult. It's easier to buy somebody a present, even if it's a fancy, highbrow present. It's easier to do that than to spend time with them. It's easier to do that than to give of yourself to a person. I don't know how many of you have mothers-in-law. I should say that. I don't know how many of you have a mother-in-law. <laughs> the other thing would be a little weird. Um, my mother-in-law is wonderful, and I, this would never apply to her, but... But for some of us, if you have a mother-in-law figure in your life, whether it's literally a mother-in-law or not, it, it's just like, oh, man, I, would, I, I am buying some peace with my $25 gift card because I would rather give it to that person than give myself to that person. It's harder to truly give of yourself. Friendship requires sacrifice. Love requires sacrifice. But that's, that's what we are actually encouraging you to do. It's not to give less. It's to spend less. Imagine turning off your television for a night and having a real conversation with the people who live in your house. You mean for like two whole hours? (laughs) Maybe. I want to read to you the, the last passage from today's lectionary readings. We only read three of them. There's four. And, um, this doesn't, doesn't happen to directly apply to what I'm saying, but it does paint a really beautiful picture of what true community looks like. The depth and closeness, the joy, the sharing in the gospel, the overflowing love that are the markers of being in community with other people. I want to read this to you. It's Philippians 1, 3 through 11. As you're thinking about spending less, but not giving less, here's a picture of what it means to be in community with other people. Paul's writing to this church in Philippi. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. 
I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart, for all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. It's not only a picture of community and relationship, which is ha- it has to be the basis of our, of our giving if we're going to spend less. It's also a picture of that kingdom of God coming among us, coming down and being present in our, our current reality. We want to be a part of all of those things as we celebrate Advent together. Expressing the kind of love that's written about in that passage costs a lot more than 25 bucks. Which means that you truly can spend less but not give less. Would you spend just a minute in silent prayer listening to God? Perhaps God has a a word for you, an instruction for you, an idea for you about how you can spend less but not give less. Take a moment and, and spend time in silent prayer. Gracious God, may your Holy Spirit speak to each one of us in this room this morning. May the word that we've heard from the Bible uh, pierce our hearts, take root in our souls, and be evident in our action. Help us to live out the calling which you've placed on us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let me give you a little update on Advent Conspiracy Giving, because we're not just spending less for the sake of the exercise or so we can sock away a little bit of cash for ourselves to spend in January. We have a shared goal, as I mentioned earlier, during Advent Conspiracy to do real good in the world. And the way we're doing that is taking the money that we would have spent on presents and we're donating that money to the Ugandan Water Project, which is a Rochester area charity that builds rainwater collection tanks in the country of Uganda. Um, many of you are already familiar with UWP. Superb charitable organization. Very lean, um, very efficient. And it turns out that in, in places like Uganda, 
clean drinking water can be accomplished with a relatively inexpensive rainwater collection tank. You don't have to dig wells at a cost of $10,000 um, that are going to break soon anyway, and they're made of durable plastic that lasts upwards of 30 years and can provide clean drinking water for a, a whole village of people, uh, hundreds of people, for, for decades, um, at a cost of $3,500 per collection tank, which is nothing. Um, and so what we've asked you to do is, uh, last week, if you were here, we asked you to take these cards home, pull them off this little model of a rainwater collection tank, which I'll show you in just a minute, and, and give gifts, mark them Advent Conspiracy. You can write it on your check memo. You can put it in an envelope if you're giving cash and mark it Advent Conspiracy. You can give online, artisanchurch.com slash giving. And there's a drop-down menu that one of the choices for our fund will be Advent Conspiracy. Any of those ways you can give, we'll, we'll get the money. And 100% of gifts marked for Advent Conspiracy or Smarket Water or whatever is simple to you, 100% of those funds will be given to Uganda and Water Project. Now, last week, we had just told you about this. Nobody really expected it. Very few people, anyway, knew it was coming. And so... Um, today is really the first time when people would have an opportunity to bring gifts back. Um, but some of you have already given, and given online or in other ways. And so um, I've got this r- collection tank here that we're working on. And you can see at the bottom here, we've already collected um, almost $700, which is really excellent for our first week, um, especially, as I said, since we really, this isn't, t- you know, first week is really kind of here today. Last week was week zero. So um, the, the water droplets are building up there, and some of you have water droplets that you're bringing back today, so we left that blank. Uh, also, it was easier not to print more cards, um, but I don't want to let you behind the veil too much. I will also say that uh, one person in the room is extremely given toward mathematical reality and uh, precision, and that person let me know last week that I am missing two rows of $25 cards, that this is actually 3100 not 3500 and I didn't get a chance to correct it before today, but now you all know. Um, I, could have just, I could have said nothing, and still, only one person would know. Um, but now you all know about my inability to measure. I printed the right number of cards, and then was not surprised, apparently, when I didn't use all of them. Um, <laughs> This is the way my brain works. So here's our water collection tank. I'm going to stick it over here on this thing. Pat, will you move your chairs back like two feet? Thanks. Um, And so uh, there's a couple of them left on the communion table here. When you come to take communion, if you'd like to bring one of those back home with you, you can. I'd encourage you to go up and take a look at that. Put your hands on it. get Get a real sense of what the what the scope of this project is and tear off one of those well don't tear it they're taped on there pull off one of those $25 cards or more if you want to bring more back I said, like I said before that's totally fine bring them home and what it requires is 140 $25 gifts to be redirected toward clean water to, to build one of these tanks and there's you know as I said last week upwards of a couple hundred of us who make our way in and out of here um, every other week or so and uh, we can, I think, very easily do one collection tank, and we might, do, we might do two or three, and we'll see what happens. But I would encourage you to be obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading on this matter. Fair enough? All right. Um, I'd like to invite you now to take communion together. 
This is something we do every week. This is the proper response to hearing the Word of God proclaimed, whether it's in a sermon traditionally, or whether it's simply hearing the texts, or whether it's the Spirit speaking through whatever we encountered this morning um, to, to bring that Word uh, to root in your heart. The response to hearing the Word of God proclaimed is to come to the table of the Lord, to receive the body and blood of Christ, the bread and the cup, which symbolize for us his body, which remind us of his sacrifice, which unite us with each other and with Christians all around the city and the world and throughout time, and which is food for our souls, which are hungry. (laughs) That's what is at this table, and it's for all of you who would seek to follow Jesus in this place. Dave and Aubrey will come back up. We'll continue to sing and worship in that way. Uh, If you uh, would like to sit and pray and think for a few minutes before you come to the table, that's okay. We don't need to to rush. We'll be here for a while. Um, Be sensitive to the Spirit and God's leading in your own heart. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.